it's hard to praise God sometimes, right? Like there are times in our lives, right, where we just want to pray and praise and it's just hard. Like life works against us, doesn't it? And it might be small people shutting the piano on your fingers or whatever, but it may just be life. It's just hard sometimes. And, and I, uh, I don't know, man, I think that that is just such an indicative um, it's just an indicative truth of how the enemy's gonna try to do whatever he can to keep us away from that time with the Lord. And uh, I feel that this week in this, this particular lesson, I felt that in every day of the homework, I'm sure you did too, to a point where you're seeing the psalmist's words reflecting despair and doubt and, and all these different, different feelings and, 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 and desperations. But at the same time, he's fighting the battle to pray and praise. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to take a look at Psalm 86. And that was like day five of your homework, I think. Psalm 86. So turn to that if you have your Bible. Um, We're going to walk through that together. The question I would have you ask yourself as we start this is, is where do you turn in your greatest need? Where do you turn in your greatest need? It's, it's a difficult question to ask because I, I will be honest with you. Um, my first instinct is not to praise God. Anyone? It's just hard, right? Like a lot of times that's the last resort. And I think that David is, is gonna share with us, he's the author of this Psalm. And I think he's gonna show us in his own little David way, how we praise God through those moments of greatest need. Um, this Psalm, like I said, you covered it in your homework. Um, it's been described as deep distress expressed, but then overcome with prayer and praise. Deep distress that David's going to express, but then he overcomes it with prayer and praise. Notice I don't say deep distress that then God snapped his fingers and fixed. We don't see that, right? A lot of times in these Psalms, we don't get the resolution we desire and they reflect our lives, right? Deep distress that's overcome through prayer and praise. How do we do that? That's what we're going to look at today. Well, cool things about this psalm I wanted to share with you. Um, it's one of the psalms that, that is considered a prayer, okay? So like you're going to hear David talking directly to God. And, and in the psalms, there's only like five of those that the whole thing is a prayer from beginning to end. And this is one of them, okay? So it's a prayer. It's also considered like a mosaic, if you will, like a collection. And here's why. Because when the, the smart people that go and analyze this stuff, you know, all the scholars and the historians, they look at this. This psalm is actually comprised of a bunch of different parts and pieces. It's kind of neat. It's, it's, it's got parts of, of what Moses, Moses' word in Exodus. It's got parts of Psalms 25, 26, 27, 28. 54 through 58, some from 17. So it's really like this composition And the neat thing is this psalm is commonly referred to as David's prayer because this is what's believed. It's believed that David, in many occasions in his life, would pray this prayer over his situation. So it's one of those universal prayers that that we can take and, and apply to whatever greatest need, whatever struggle we're walking through too. I love that about David. He gives us things that we can see as his words, but we can also take them as ours, right? Well, um, I've mentioned to you before, it's broken out into these, Psalms is broken out into all these collections, right? And we are in, we have now entered into book three of this massive collection of Psalms. And, And this is the only one in book three that's written by David. This is it. And so we're gonna, we're gonna stop hearing so much of David's voice um, and we're gonna start hearing voices from other people. Well, 
um, the way David really broke this out, it's really kind of broken into three parts. And you covered a little bit of that in your homework, but I'm going to go a little deeper. And the first part is that David's going to cry out. You're going to see this cry, this appeal. And then I, I thought of this section, verses 8 through 13, is like you see this big shift in David. It's like this soul shift, right? Like all of a sudden his perspective and his hope and, and his words reflect that. They all shift and change, kind of like a reframing. And then lastly, he's going to give us a final appeal. And then um, we're going to wrap up talking about why we are to pray and praise in the midst of our greatest needs. So um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up and we're just going to break it down piece by piece. And so uh, the first section I'm going to talk about is um, David's cry. David's cry. And, and you know, two words, um, as I was, I was reading this and over and over, I read it in all these different um, paraphrases and all these different versions. And the thing I kept thinking was that this is like honest desperation. Honest desperation. That's what God, you know, often we've talked over these last 10 weeks. Can you believe it's been 10 weeks? Holy, holy moly. Anyway, over and over we talk about David's honesty. We can say a lot of things about David, but he is so honest and here he's honest in his desperation. So listen for that desperation when I read the words. Verses one through seven go like this. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Verse 4, gladden my soul, gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O God, are good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. And in the day of my trouble, I will call upon you for you answer me. Desperation, honest desperation, right? You know, in the, the New Living or the Living Translation, I, like I told you, I went and read it in a bunch of different words because I just thought, oh, I love the language of this, you know, the, the honesty of this. And the New Living says, um, bend down and hear my prayer. Do you love the idea of a God that gets down on his knees to listen? He wants to listen. He wants to, I've said this a million times before when my daughter was really little and I would be so distracted doing things, she would grab my face and say to me, listen with your face. And I think that's what um, David's crying out for God to do in that moment. Bend down and hear my prayer. There's a lot of requests in this part. You know, in this whole um, psalm, there's 15-ish requests. We say ish because some of them are repetitive, right? Um, I'll get to that repetitive nature of David's asks in just a minute. But the thing I thought was cool about this first part of his appeal is every time he asks for something, he kind of gives God a reason why. Not necessarily a, 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 a prescription for how he should answer it, notice that, but rather this is why I'm asking you for this. And I love that because I'm thinking when I hear that, I think conversation. I think less of a laundry list, more of a conversation because my prayers often to God sound a lot like, you know, do this, do this, say this, make this happen, you know, make this person stop doing this. You know, that's how my prayers look. And instead of a conversation with a trusted, beloved friend or father. So he says things like answer me, but then he says, because I'm in trouble. Or he says, protect me, I'm trying to follow your laws. He says, save me. I'm serving and I'm trusting. He says, be merciful to me because you are my hope. Give me joy. I worship only you. 
And then he says, hear me. And I love this in verses six through seven, it's because he knows that he will help him. Look at that, verses six through seven, look at the, look at the verb tense. He says, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea, there's the plea, there's the ask. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you for you answer me. Not you might possibly, perhaps, maybe if I cross my fingers and act a certain way, answer me. He's like confident. I love that. I love the confidence of that. There's desperation, there's honesty, but then there's confidence in God. The ultimate reason for every single ask is this. In verse five, he says, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. You know, he's saying, I can ask you these things because of who you are, not because of who I am. Catch that. If we go to God and say, this is why I'm praising and praying you, not because of who I am, but because of who you are. A couple of things I saw pop out at this section that I thought David, um, that David did, but then I thought, man, I, I need to be better about doing. There's three of them. And, and the first is this, that, that David makes all of his wishes and his annoyances into prayer. All of his wishes, all of his annoyances into prayer. Um, how does that translate to, to Chris Murphy in 2019 in Flower Mound, Texas? This is how it translates. Quit calling people. Quit gossiping about things. Quit complaining about stuff, Chris. Instead, turn all the wishes, all the complaints, all the things that I'm wrestling with thinking about into prayer. I, it seems simple, doesn't it? But I'm much quicker to pick up the phone than I am to get on my knees. And, um, and, and that was convicting to me. I feel like David is giving us an example. Well, the second thing I think that David does that we could, we could replicate is, is um, that he is sincere in his repetition. He's sincere in his repetition. Um, we've talked before when we've studied other books of the Bible that there is a lot of repetition in the Bible, right? Why do you think? Because we're real bad at listening, aren't we? I mean, think about it. If, if you have a kid or you know kids, right, or adults, I'm gonna just revise that, to any humans on the planet, you have over and over, you have to say things, right? Over and over. I don't even remember the numbers, but in some, some crazy astronomical number for something to become habit, you have to do it a certain number of times. Well, there's purpose in the repetition. And I love that David takes that principle and says, all right, well then I'm gonna repeat it to you, Lord. When I ask, I'm gonna repeat and it's gonna be heartfelt. You know, in Matthew six, Jesus talks about um, some repetition and sometimes we get hung up on that. He refers to vain repetition, but, but I hope that you understand the difference between what David is doing by repeating his request to God and vain repetition is the focus. Like um, when, when, we're, when, we're, when we're doing vain repetition, we're repeating things, we're pointing to ourselves and giving ourselves glory. Or perhaps we're just using words that are filler or, or it's meaningless. Not David. You know, I think of a real conversation. You know, you think about David having this conversation with the Lord and, and in every different example, he's asking for the same things because he has hope and he believes that God is going to achieve that. Don't avoid sincere repetition. The third thing is that um, David leaves God to settle how God will answer the prayer. Do you see that? He leaves God to answer that. So I, I'm, I'm guilty of this. Like I will tell God that I need something and then I'll give him the prescription for how to make it happen. Anybody? I've got this great plan because I'm so good at being God. Um, and I have this whole thing and it's, it's like I can hear God and his God laugh up there going, really sister, come on now. I think we've learned by now. 
Well, the psalmist, instead, he prays for, for preservation and safety and joy, but he doesn't say um, how God should make these things come to be. I think we put a lot of burden on ourselves by trying to give God ideas, don't we? I, I think about um, how hard it's been these last couple of weeks when we've had to talk about some tough things like suffering and a God that allows those things to happen. But if you'll remember, one of the things that we talked about too is sometimes God has to let us walk through those fires because the only way he's gonna transform us into what he wants us to be, who he wants us to be, how he wants us to live is by going through that. I and mean, we can pray all we want for patience, but what do we know about that? When we pray for patience, he gives us opportunities in which to be patient. And we don't want those, do we? We ought to let God settle how he answers our prayers, just like David was. Well, what are your honest pleas before God? What are your honest, desperate things that you're pleading to him? Um, are they laced with trust and hope? I, uh, you guys know me now. Um, we're 10 weeks into our very close relationship, and we're best friends. And so you know I love math, right? this from the enemy. It's bad. I mean, I guess it has to happen, but whatever. You math people, we can talk later. Um, I'm not a math girl, but here's what I like to do. I like to make up my own math. Anyone? Yeah. I like to take words like letters and make them into math. So that's what I did. So, so this is how I thought of this section. This is my math problem. This is as mathy as I get. Ready? I wrote this for me. Desperation plus trust equals hope. Desperation plus trust equals hope. Sounds weird, right? Real weird math equation. Yeah, I get it. I know I'm, I'm that person. But here's what I was thinking here. I was thinking, like, what is the ultimate way to describe hope? If I were to look at somebody in the eye who doesn't know Jesus, who's suffering, going through difficult circumstances, how do I even tell them what hope is? You know what I say? I don't say that your life is free of desperation because it's not but rather it's the desperation in the circumstances, you know, the temporal things that change, right? Like waves in the ocean. The desperation in our circumstances combined with trust in the unchanging steadfast love of God that David has. That's where hope comes in is when we take the desperation and we combine it with trust and we step out into that sea that's about to be parted before it's even parted, right? Desperation plus trust equals hope. Hope is not lacking in either of those things. I think often we like to believe that hope only comes when there is no desperation, but that's, man, that's where hope thrives in those places where we are on our knees and broken and getting the piano shut on our fingers, amen? That's where hope is. And so um, I love that David gives us that example. Well, going into verses eight through 13, he kind of shifts. We see this soul shift. It's like he gives us some praise and then he moves into this request that looks a little different. And so verses eight through 13, follow along. They go like this. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. God, that's a cool praise, right? And then he goes into verse 10. For you are great and do wondrous things. And oh, I love this. And you alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart. And I will, give glori I will, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. We have delivered, you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. 
I love that he tells God who he is and then he has this request. In verses eight and nine, you see kind of some language about gods, like the little G gods, you know, you see that? And then he says, all the nations. I just wanna point that out because remember, we always have to look at God's word um, in the context of who was speaking these words and who they were speaking to literally at the time, not just us. And, and what he's trying to make clear here when he's talking to God about these things, he's referencing the fact that he understands that this is the God of everyone. This is the God of everything. You see, at the time, um, these gods, these little G gods were like, were like regional, you know? So like they had different gods for different things in different places. And, and, and it was this weird um, type of warped religion that a lot of the people were following. And so I love that he's constantly saying to God, I know who you are. I remain your beloved David and all the nations you have made will come to worship before you. He knows that with confidence. He goes into verse 10. There's this awesome verb tense thing. You know, I'm a grammar girl. It says, um, for you are great and you do wondrous things and you alone are God. All present tense. Remember, this is a prayer he prayed over and over in all kinds of different circumstances. And we can join him in that. These are things that are true of God. The best part for me of this section is verse 11. You see what he's asking. He goes into these two asks. He's asking him, he's asking God, teach me your way so I will walk in your truth. You know what he doesn't say? That's what I like kind of looking under the surface. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, bless my ways. Or here, God, let me help you understand my way so that then you can tell me it's okay and make it happen. I, I, I want to pray with my whole heart that my ways become his ways. Amen? Not his ways become my way. He, he knows best. And so he asks that in, in verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. That's, that's huge. And I think we miss it, you know? I'm so guilty of that. The second request he asks is for God to unite his heart. Unite his heart. He wants a whole heart that's following after the Lord so that he will fear God's name. You know, I think that goes hand in hand with the whole idea of making my way, Chris's way, like the same as his way. God, please change that for me. I want my way to reflect your way. I think the same thing happens when we ask him to unite our heart. All of a sudden, my heart is not, lo the loyalties are not divided anymore, amen? It's one heart focused on one thing, one path. Soul shifting happens when we remember who he is like David did, and then we ask accordingly. Change my soul, God. When we focus on his way, our desires shift into eternal perspective instead of temporal, instead of temporary things. Do you have those places in your world? Like I have a few of them, but then of course I have a giant pile of them that I'm, that I'm, I'm working on. Um, do you have those places where you can see that, ah, I shifted my hope and my prayer and my praise to be more like him and less like Chris. And all of a sudden, the temporary things stop having the level of importance or impact or pain on my life. I, I don't think about that. I don't know if you've experienced that. I've experienced that. Where I, I, it's one of those moments where um, I, I can say it can only be God. Like I've gotten to have coffees with people before and they've asked me that. Like how on earth can you possibly look at God this way? How on earth can you possibly not want revenge on this person? How on earth can you possibly not have anger toward this situation? And I, I, the only answer I have is I, oh, it can only be him. 
We want our souls to shift. When we do that, it becomes um, this world, all the things that we focus on, become less about winning arguments and being right and less about getting what we want and less about making ourselves super comfy. That's like my thing. And it becomes more about telling the world who God is, lining up my desires with him, having requests before him that reflect his glory, not Chris's desires and wants. Praise, then request. We need a soul shifting and awakening just like David prays about in Psalm 86. Well, verses 14 through 17, he gives us one final appeal. It's a final section that kind of sounds like the first one, but there's a, a couple things that are a little different I wanna point out. So verses 14 through 17 go like this. Oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. You know, that is our precious little David, you know, reminding God, hey, don't forget, there's like all these bad guys. I'm the good guy, they're the bad guys, right? Anybody, you pray to God like that? You can use these words, I like this. I'm gonna use this, ruthless, insolent. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I digress. And they do not set you before them, but you, oh Lord, do you love that? But you, oh Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see it and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So much going on in that last request. You know, verse 14, he begins with this idea that um, these praises that he has, you know, they give way to fear. You know, it's kind of like in verse 14, we realize because he starts calling out the bad guys, right? Things are not going well, okay? This is not during one of those mountaintop experiences with David. I'm guessing he pulls this prayer out of his heart, out of his desk drawer when things are really rough. He's talking about the enemies that are chasing him down. And he's talking about how they are the ones who don't set you above all. And so he's contrasting himself. Lord, I set you above all. I'm still being chased down by the bad guys. Things are not well. I, th- I think, you know, sometimes um, I-, I love that David spells it out, but I, I think I-, I read between the lines that David also remembers that prayer is not an automatic universe where God just fixes everything. Amen. It's not just like all of a sudden you have this beautiful morning of prayer and then everything that you were struggling with is is fixed. That's hard for us, isn't it? It's not necessarily a fix, but there is always an answer because he always hears, he always loves, and he always answers. You know, I love that old Billy Graham statement and it remains true. And he says that God does answer. It's either yes, no, or wait. And I think that we can apply that. Yes, no, wait. Sometimes I can't hear and sometimes I don't know. And you know what? I have, to, I have to assume that's him pushing the pause button and saying, just hold on, hold on. I think um, the message says it this way. And I thought, gosh, this is such a cool way to spell out this need and how, and how desperate it felt for David. The message says it like this. He says, so look me in the eye and show kindness. He's speaking to God. Remember, it's a prayer. And give your servant the strength to go on. Save your dear, dear child. Make a show of how much you love me. So the bullies who hate me will stand there slack-jawed as you, God, gently and powerfully put me back on my feet. You know what one of my favorite prayers are? 
my favorite. Listen, one of my favorites. And, and we, we say it in jest, but we mean it with 100% of our hearts. Show off, God, show off today. You know, we go on this mission trip every year, a family mission trip to Belize um, that our church puts on. And it, it is, if there is ever a time in my life where I've seen God show off, it is in that place. And, and the, the thing that strikes me is on the, on, the, on the plane ride home, I'm always thinking to myself, you know, God, um, you should show off back at home. Isn't that ridiculous? Let's just think about that for just a hot minute. You know, the thing is when I'm in Belize and when I'm with my family and when my cell phone doesn't work and we don't have Wi-Fi anymore and we're sweating a whole bunch and all those things are happening, all of a sudden my eyes are open to everything around me that God is doing. And when I get back here, I allow these beautiful blessings to, to completely suffocate the voice of God. Anyone else? I want to live a life that's always looking for him to do the God thing, to do the show off thing. And I think David is saying that as well. What a plea. Well, listen, in closing, I'm, I'm gonna finish with this. You know, David's greatest need, he was in this greatest need. And we don't know, again, because this was a prayer that he prayed over and over. We don't necessarily know what was happening in the specific circumstances in which he stopped and prayed this prayer. But we do know that in his greatest need, he always turned to prayer and praise. Even when the, the piano was getting shut on his fingers, right? I think he had his share of that. Prayer and praise. So why prayer and praise? Why do we pray and praise God in times of greatest need? Why do we do that? I don't even, that's just so hard for us if we're being super honest. And it's okay to be honest. He loves that, remember? He loves that. If we're being honest, it's hard to understand why we're supposed to do that. And so four things I wanna leave you with that um, I feel like we can learn from David. The first is this, um, why do we pray and praise? Because God said so. He said so. And, and then, you know, I will add this little part of it. And Jesus did it. Jesus did it. God said so. Jesus did it. You know, if you flip over to Matthew 6, and I, I, you don't have to. I'll read it to you. But if you want to write it down, Matthew 6 is a whole bunch of red words. Okay? So what does that mean? That's Jesus talking. So when Jesus is talking, we listen. Right? Okay. Matthew 6, he, he goes into this thing and you've probably heard it before and it's called the Lord's Prayer, right? But if you're like me, you know, I've been learning that thing since I was a little kid when I was at church and it was just fun to like hear everybody say the words out loud and try not to like say them too soon and mess that up. Did you ever have that problem? Like you'd be like, okay, is this a, a tresser or a Deborah? I don't know, I don't know what, what's gonna happen. I had weird problems in church when I was a kid. That's, that's a problem for me. But this section, Jesus is telling us, he's not just giving us something to repeat and just say and not have any feeling and heart. You know what he's doing? He's telling us how to pray. And I love it. But he also, not only does he tell us how to pray, he's going to show us why we pray, why we pray in Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6, Jesus says this, ready? And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they, have been, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, you go into your room and you shut the door and you pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Listen, some things we need to understand about that. When he's talking about Remember, Jesus is like the greatest storyteller ever. So when he's talking to people, he's going to teach them in ways that they're going to understand. And so when he says, don't be a hypocrite, don't stand and pray in the synagogues or on street corners, you know what he's doing? He's referring to those people that have those empty, vain prayers that are not meaningful. They're just a big, giant pile of fancy words. 
and they don't mean it. And he's saying, we are not to be those people. Now, when he talks about going into secret and praying, okay, that's not just that's the only place you pray. What that means is when you do something in secret, that's who you really are, right? When you do something when the doors are closed and the lights are off and no one's around and no one knows but you and your maker, that's real. And that's what he's trying to tell us. This is a personal thing. That your prayer is personal between you and God, not for show and not to be heard, but to be heard only by an audience of one. So your prayers are to be personal. In Matthew um, 6, verse 7, he goes on to say that our prayers are to be sincere. Our prayers are to be sincere. And here's how he says that. Jesus says, and... When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Anybody ever been, okay, I'm not throwing old grandpas under the bus here, but, you know, have you ever been to those um, Thanksgiving dinners where you got old grandpa praying and he's like going on and on and you're like, stop saying thou. Like, we don't even say that. It's like nothing. And, and then this big, giant, long thing, and I'm not saying it's insincere. I better be careful about this. But you know what I mean? Like, you sit there and go, I don't even know that he knows he's still talking. I don't even know who he's talking to, the turkey's cold, all the things, right? That, that's what Jesus is saying. Let's just make it sincere. You know, that's why I laugh because I, I'm, I always, my, my, uh, my team, we, you know, we pray together um, before. I have a, and I have a group of, of friends that we get together and pray over y'all, over this. I make you cry every single week. But here's what's cool about our prayer time. If you ever run into us at the coffee shop and you see us, it doesn't look like what, it doesn't look like grandpa's prayer at Thanksgiving. It's messy and it's real and, and it's like a conversation and halfway through it, we look up at each other and we kind of laugh and we're like, God's laughing right now. We know, he, you know, it's like this cool conversation that we've invited him into. It's like he has a latte sitting right there at the table with us. And it's the best prayer time I've ever had in my life because it's real, it's sincere. And I think that's what Jesus wants us to remember personal, sincere. He also wants us to know that we are to be believing in our prayers. You know, in Psalm 55, we talked about that. Remember Psalm 55, I think that was a David Psalm. I'm not sure. He says, I call to God and he hears my voice. You know, he calls to God and he hears his voice. It's not, I call to God and then all my stuff gets fixed. All my pain goes away. All the illness is healed all the wise are answered. No, he says, I call to God. He hears my voice. This is what I know to be true. And so we're called to believe when we pray. And, and I think the cool part about that is too, I will say this, this is Chris inserting herself into this. Um, I think it's okay for, to tell him, I am having a hard time believing this right now. This does not feel true. Because I'm telling you, I have had more experiences with him where I've had to say that than I have to be able to say, I completely believe this. Because sometimes it's really hard, right? Honest desperation. Well, the fourth thing I think we need to understand about um, how Jesus prayed and how we are to pray is that, that we're to pray continually, continually. Um, Paul tells us that that's important in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, you're supposed to pray without ceasing. Anybody get scared by that? I'm like, what? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> we're, this is not a rule book. This is a book about learning and knowing and understanding God. And through that, we get to understand what his greatest hope is for us. And that's that we would find a saving faith in Jesus. And so when he says pray without ceasing, it's not, hey, hey, um, this is, you're gonna have to have this many number. You know, like, okay, 
Okay, those of you who have um, teenagers, if you don't and you have people coming up that will grow into teenagers, we should, should we pray right now? We should pause and pray for them. <laughs> no, it's, it's precious, it's lovely. Um, when they drive, when they learn to drive, let me just tell you this, it has nothing to do with prayer. I'm gonna tell you this right now. When they're doing the driving thing, okay, it's, um, it's cool and here's why. Uh, it's cool because you do pray a lot while they're driving, scary, a little, a little scary, but also, you get to spend time with them. So just remember that I said that and that's all I'm gonna say about that. <clears throat> but my whole point, there, there was a point. My point is when, when your kid is doing their driving hours, what do you parents, what do you have to sit there and do with the piece of paper that they printed out from the, you have to sit there and mark off. Okay, we, we did five hours of left turns. Okay, we did six hours of driving in the dark. Okay, you have to sit there and check stuff off, right? Like it's so annoying. And I'm thinking, I think we as believers oftentimes apply that to prayer and apply that to any sort of, of ritual or any sort of anything that the Bible tells us to do because we think if we do that, we're, we're, we're better. And if we're better, he loves us more. You know, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not that. It is that as dirty and as bad and as awful and as messy as our lives are, he died for us. He didn't wait until we got our um, prayer checklist done. And so when he says pray ceasingly, here's how I see that. I see it this way. Don't say amen. That's, that's the Chris solution. You know what that is? To me, um, I talk to him all day long, like a crazy person. Anybody else? Yeah. I'm driving down the road. You pull up next to me, you're gonna think I'm singing a song. I'm not. I am like... Talking to God like a crazy person. And he loves it. And it's the best quiet time. You know, I don't have a lot of quiet times anymore where I sit in front of the fire and my, my well-behaved dog that doesn't chew at books lays in a circle on my feet. And, and it's like we have two hours and, and you know, we're praising God and all these things. It doesn't look like that anymore. Half the time it's driving down the road, calling out to him and saying, I don't know how to pray about this. I don't understand what you're doing, but I love you. And I'm not going to say amen because I'm going to keep talking. Pray without ceasing. So personally, sincerely, believing continuously. Well, that's the first reason why we pray and praise in times of greatest need is that God did it. I mean, Jesus did it. God said so. The second reason, um, and I hope you hear this, is uh, he is greater than your need. He is greater than your greatest need. Greater than your greatest need. I heard this quote and um, I thought this was so, gosh, this is so true because I think a lot of times when we're in the midst of great need, we try to come up, especially if we're, you know, pretty resourceful people, pretty smart, we come up with a, a way to fix it, don't we? we? We come up with ways to remedy it and, and, and do all these things. But I, I thought, man, um, this quote says, you can do more than pray after you have prayed but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Listen again. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. What do we do first? What do, we, what do, what do I do first? You know, nine times out of 10, I start controlling and fixing and manipulating. And then I make it a bigger mess, amen. And then I have to go back to God like really sad and pathetic in my car at the stoplight going, yeah, so remember the thing I should have come to you with? Yeah, I've really kind of messed it up a lot more now because I inserted Chris' logic into it and I should have relied on you. So do we pray first and then let God show us what's next or do we try to go ahead of him? David uses this term, okay, in this Psalm, he uses the term for God, Adonai. 
And I know a couple weeks ago we talked about who is God to me, Adonai. Um, it's the word Lord, and, but it means this. He, he emphasizes God's lordship and his sovereignty, okay? His lordship and his sovereignty, that, that God made great nations, that he has ordained, that they will all come and worship before him. He, he's saying that God is great and he's done wondrous deeds and the Lord alone is God. So this God that David is crying out to is greater than David's greatest needs and he's greater than our greatest needs as well even when we don't understand it. He is greater than your greatest needs. The third thing that um, is, is the reason why we pray and praise in the midst of our greatest needs is that prayer changes us. It does, it just does. I've always heard that. I never kind of understood it um, until I looked into the eyes of my kid when he was about seven and he said some things to me that I thought, oh, this is what this means. Prayer changes us. You know, um, this kid, you know, now he's almost 21. God bless him. He's eating ramen noodles and trying to scramble eggs. And it's sad, isn't it? It's sad. Yeah, he, we got to work on all those things. But he had great theology when he was seven. Still does. But when he was seven years old, I'll never forget this. He had um, spent some time at church. Great, amazing teachers that fed into him, loved him, prayed over him. And then family. And we would pray. And, and prayer became a big part of his little seven-year-old world. Because you know what's cool about kids? Just this one thing before we go and get candy and everybody freak out tomorrow. But it's one thing that's cool about them is they don't know yet to be jaded by the world. Amen? They just don't. So they like have this honest, blind trust that we wish we could get back to, don't we? Well, he had this beautiful thing that he would always say. And I, I truly believe that it came from being drenched in prayer because they became part of who he is. And this is still him today. He would say this thing to us. And um, it took me a while to realize that it came from Romans 8, 28, which is all things work for the good of those who love him. You know, you know that verse probably, who have been called according to his purpose. Well, my seven-year-old kid would always say this. Um, and it was sweet and precious for a minute. And then it got a little bit annoying, I'm not gonna lie. But he would say this. We'd be like driving down the road and we'd be running late. And of course, I'm, I tend to do that at times. But it's anyway, I was running late. So I'm driving. He's sitting in the back seat with his little sister and I'm kind of stressed and everything. I'm kind of freaking out. And I'm like, okay, well, when we get there, you know, we gotta, we gotta get out really fast. We gotta run to the door. You know, we gotta do all the things. And he's like, mommy, 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 here's the thing. We're running late, but God worked that out for good because what if there's a car accident up the road and we missed it? I'm like, okay. Some good theology, right? Okay, all right, that's good. Well, I'll take it. And then, and then it turned into things like this, where he and his sister would be in the backseat fighting over Halloween candy, right? And it's like those little tiny baby Skittle packs, right? And he, my, his little sister at the time, you know, would be four. And so her logic and theology wasn't quite as strong as the seven-year-old. But he would say things like this. No, no, Maya, don't, don't freak out. Don't, 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 it's okay. Because God worked it out for good. There's actually four Skittles left. So we can divide them equally. And I'm just sitting here listening to all this and I'm going, yeah, so, okay. So prayer changes you. So God's word changes you. So like all of a sudden I have this kid who's seven and I'm not seven. And it is really hard for me to see the world through this lens. But I believe when we pray, I believe that we believe all of these things are true. Then he does do that. He does infuse his truth into everything, even Skittles. And, and that's so cool, right? To get to see that lived out in those you love. But then to realize God's trying to tell me something too. Chris, look at the world in the way that I look at the world. Don't forget what I did. Don't forget what I'm always doing. Don't forget who I sent. Don't forget how he lived. 
prayer changes us. Well, the fourth thing, and this is the last thing I'm going to hit before we close up, is that um, your prayers matter to God. They matter. You know, I, we talked about how he answers sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes just wait. And, and I think the hardest thing for us is when we are in those, the deepest, darkest pits to remember that, that it does matter to him. And he's a good parent. He's a good dad. And he wants to hear every bit of it. But just like good parents, he's not always going to step in and fix the path. Amen. Sometimes he's just not. I think about the struggles that, um, that my kids have gone through and the amount of times I've wanted to rescue them out of it. And remembering that I have a good, good father who sometimes lets me stay in the pit. And, and if you're asking me, it's too long. But maybe I'm down there because he's making me into who I need to be when I come back up. You know, I think about my kids and the things that they go through and the consequences they face. And it'd be real easy because I love them so desperately to just erase every consequence and not have them have to face the pain. But you know what happens? The next time the pit's deeper, amen? And when it's deeper and, and you've already been lifted out of it and you haven't relied on the Lord, instead you've relied on this fix it's really hard to reconcile, right? Well, your prayers matter to him. He's a good father. He listens. He cares. Even when he doesn't just rescue us straight out of it. He sent his son to give us the ultimate rescue, you know. Jesus came so that we had life abundantly, no matter how deep the pit was. Jesus came so that we could have rest regardless of how exhausting this world is and our needs are. He came so that we could have living water, not just temporary satisfaction. He, he listens and it matters. Listen, here's the ultimate idea I'm gonna leave you with. And I hope that you take this from Psalm 86. It's this, let your greatest needs drive you to the greatest God. We need our greatest needs to drive us to him. Even when you get the piano shut on your fingers a million different ways, even when you're so far down in the pit, you can't even see the sun at the top. Even when you think you know the best way to fix the problem, just lean into a God who's greater than those problems. And hold on, because those are the moments where it gets real. I, uh, I know there's a lot of desperate need in this room. And, and my hope is that um, in the midst of that desperate need that you can find the courage and, and the truth and the honesty to be able to reach out to him and pray and praise. I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna let you guys go talk about your homework with your best friends, okay? Father, um, you, uh, I love David. You love David. You love us. You know all the deep pits that we're in. Uh, God, sometimes it's so hard to praise you in the midst of it. And um, I thank you that you give us these examples and these opportunities. And it doesn't always look like this beautiful, clean fix with a bow tied up. You know, sometimes it's, it's like this psalm where it feels like we're going to be praying this again and again. And so, God, just like anything, make this a habit in our world. Show us how to pray and praise in the midst of our greatest need and trust you in it, not us. Thank you so much that you did send your son to give us the greatest fix, the greatest hope, the greatest answer to prayer that we could never have even prayed. 
We love you, Father. Um, we thank you for this time. We thank you for these words. And we pray that um, you are going to be very present in the next conversations that come from this place. In Jesus' name.